It's time for Fat Dude Digs Flicks with your host, Andy the Fat Dude. What is up, everybody? This is Andy, the resident fat dude of Fat Dude Digs Flicks, coming to you recorded from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and it is time for another episode of Let's Talk About. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really excited for this one. I, you know, I, I think not only do I always say I'm really excited, but then I always say that I always say I'm really excited. So let's just breeze past that. Uh, on this week's episode, uh, I am talking to someone so far outside of my circle that I did not know them until we had this conversation. Uh, I am joined on this week's episode by Aaron Sawyer of Redline VR from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, yeah, it, it was just kind of a, a crazy kind of happenstance how he messaged me. And, you know, we, we tell this story um, on the podcast, so I won't dive too deep into it. Uh, but man, this episode was an absolute blast to record. Uh, I, I'm still, you know, this is, this is now like the podcast just ended. We just got done with our conversation. So, uh, I'm still just very happy with, uh, 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 getting the chance to have this conversation with Aaron. So I hope that you are able to enjoy it as well. Uh, so go ahead and, and, and grab your popcorn, grab your soda, sit back, relax, it is time to talk about Rushmore. All right, everyone. Uh, this is, this is, today's episode is kind of exactly the reason why I like doing this podcast. Uh, I, I, I love getting a chance to have conversations with people. And up to this point, it's really been conversations with people that I know. Like I've got friends that I've had on here. I've had people that I've followed on social media for years on here. Just kind of having a conversation that's an extension of what I already know about them. So why not shuffle that completely and have an absolute total stranger on the show? Um, I have on today's episode, this week's episode, I have Aaron Sawyer. Aaron, you are the uh, owner of the Redline VR Bar in uh, outside of Chicago. Is that is that right? Am I am I uh, listing off your credentials correctly? Yeah, that'd be my most recent one. Except I guess I'd say I mean we consider ourselves in Chicago here in Ravenswood. It's just north of Wrigleyville a little bit. It's still Chicago proper. I certainly pay Chicago taxes, my friend. <laughs> See, and that's that's how you know you are yeah. in Chicago if you're paying that money. <laughs> uh, well, I am. I am super excited to get to talk to you. It is just, it's a lot of fun to kind of go into this completely like. I know, I know very little <laughs> about you outside of that you own the bar and, and you kind of approached me, uh, uh, in the fashion for this. And it was just, it was, it was, it made my night. Like, I just have to tell you, like, I got so <laughs> excited about this because you had, uh, you wanted ad space. You wanted to see if, if we, if we reached an audience in Chicago and if you could, you know, offer me some kind of compensation for, for having an ad. That's how, you know, that's how this business works. Yeah. I was like, you know what? 
let's let's skip all that. You want to you want to be on the show, <laughs> and, and and here we are. Uh, and I am just thrilled uh, to get an opportunity to talk to you because not only is the audience getting to know you, so am I. So sure. uh, I'm super excited to have you on. Uh, thank you so much, Aaron, for agreeing to do this show. I'm I'm really pumped. So let's kind of kick this off. Let's let's put the ball in your court, Aaron. Who are you? Where where did you come from? What's what's your story? Well, let's see. I've given given different answers to that all my life, I guess, as we change. <laughs> uh, with Rushmore a little bit in mind, I hope um, it's okay to take us way back. I'll I'll skip through things, but I grew up in rural Nebraska and um, Holdridge, Nebraska. Okay. And it, it was never a great fit for me, I suppose. I was always trying to do bigger, better things. And let me tell you, I guess the thing about Nebraskans to me is they just want to be in the middle. They don't want you to be too good. And they yep. don't want you to be too bad. Just calm down would be the general message of Nebraskans. <laughs> and uh, I always had a hard time with that. And um, I, I, I kind of never stood up for myself as I was getting picked on. And I'm going to go all the way to like fifth, sixth grade here. Yep. And uh, then finally, I had this weird moment that was very, very important to like who I became. So it's relevant, um, where this huge guy, like, I mean, like, he looked like, you know, a high schooler, right? Uh, he's a big bully, and um, he said, I'm either going to fight him, or I'm going to fight this nice guy named Kurt, and Kurt was, like, four foot tall, and I was like, well, this is easy. I'm going to fight Kurt. I don't want to fight anybody, but so in rural Nebraska form, they took, we all went out back uh, of the middle school to where there's a, a park, just like a movie. The kids circled around us, and pushed us at each other and chanted and yelled and I'm swinging like an idiot at Kurt and Kurt's dodging and swinging at me and both of us are pretty much crying. We have no idea why we're doing this. Well, I ended up breaking my hand on Kurt's face and I uh, got a boxer's fracture and I was so grateful when the police in those old like Cadillac looking classy uh, whatever police cars jump the curb and just peel out across the grass of the park and just like sirens on and freak us out. You know, we're sixth graders. All the kids split, and it's just me and Kurt there pretty much just crying and defeated. Um, <laughs> and I get, uh, I'd always gotten crap from my parents about getting rides home from strangers. And so when I was uh, pulled up to my parents' house, my little sister said to my mom, like, Mom, uh, Aaron got a ride home today from the police. And my mom, of course, is sprinting out of the house like, what's happening here? Yeah. Um, but in, the way this wraps up, I suppose, is that after that, I didn't get picked on anymore. And I started to, to figure out that I can stand up for myself a little bit. Um, and, and I don't know. And started, that's kind of when I first started to realize that I, I get to be a person, too. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was a big thing for me. And I don't mean, need to take you through every single grade, of course, but... By high school, I'd found my place with the, the band geeks and the theater nerds and started to find out that I really enjoyed that, even though it was hard for me. I was always better at math and stuff like that. Um, but I just was addicted to um, getting people to see the world in a different way and to challenge the assumptions of people around me and to try to make stories and, and craft narratives uh, that surprise people. And that truly has led me from owning a theater company uh, to now doing a virtual reality bar that, I mean, that's the whole point. You walk in and there's people that have traveled the world and they come in here and they say, what is this place? And I just love that. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I think there are a lot of things that, uh, you know, you, you kind of mentioned in your story that really strike a chord with me. I was born in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. So, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the bigger city part of Nebraska, but, you know, I, I get that being right in the middle. That's exactly how it feels kind of in the Midwest, this, 
this strip of land because I live in South Dakota now and oh boy uh, but, but it is uh, it's this um, uh, you, 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 if you're, you're too good they, they want to kind of keep you held back but if they, they don't want you to be too, too low they want you to find a way to push yourself higher so it's kind of this, this middle ground and in, you're kind of struggling to, to find your footing and find your place in there and sometimes you luck out and you really find that, that support system and I think uh, you know, for, for me, uh, you know, I, I lived in Omaha for, for a long time, but I feel like I really kind of found my, my place once I kind of moved here to, to South Dakota. And I also really? have a, a, a theater background. Uh, I went to school here in South Dakota uh, on, a, on a theater to, you know, to get a theater degree. And I just, I love storytelling. Like I love it, you know, kind of for the same reason that you do, being able to to let people see these stories that are kind of, you know, outside of what they would expect, kind of defy their expectations, kind of challenge their notions of, of what is and, and really uh, force them to think about things that they may not have the opportunity to. Um, I, I did remember seeing that you, you uh, are, have been involved in theater for a long time. So that really is kind of my, my bread and butter with people on this podcast. I really like getting to speak with, you know, old theater friends or people that, that participate in theater um, activities in this area. But I, I think it's just, it, it's, it's interesting the road that we take to kind of get us to, you know, these, these places where we end up. So where was it, like, what, what was the road that got you from, you know, the, the, I guess, theater course to, to uh, uh, VR and, and uh, kind of having the bar experience. Where did, you, where did you make that pivot? And you were kind of like, yes, this is, I, I, I want to continue to have people see these things, but we're going to do it using this technology and, and really get them to, to, to see the world differently. <laughs> I'll, let's see, let's see. Okay, so... Um... I, I kind of fall backwards into everything that I do. It usually comes, <laughs> I usually find out that I, what I've been trying to do is, is not working, but if I just turn around, the brick wall in front of me is, is not there and there's just yeah. a great other place. Yeah. Um, and so I suppose with the, the theater thing, I was uh, trying to be an actor and uh, I'd been so depressed my whole life that I didn't realize that I hate acting. Um, <laughs> but I really do like theater. And so then I started being a director and then artistic director um, and, and, uh, I decided I hated the, the audiences in the Midwest and in the South. Yeah. And, um, so I ended but I had, a, I got married and moved to LA because I thought, well, film will surely be the answer. Um, and I worked on everything you could do in film. And then, uh, life was getting better for me. Just to brag to, for people that don't give a crap about my life. I, <laughs> I, I did a little script reading, but also just to encourage people in this time of COVID, like I sat down in my little tiny poor apartment and I wrote a script that was inspired by watching some Quentin Tarantino movies, uh, not in all that style, but just like, wow, what choices he made. I'm going to make big choices. Um, sure. And then I decided to have a script reading and the reading went well. And the people asked what I was going to do with it. And I said, I just want someone to help me produce it. And a guy stood up in the middle of the audience and said, I'll do it. And I was like, what? This life's not supposed to work that way. And he ended up getting this Emmy winning actor to, to be on it. Uh, his name, uh, oh, Bataluka. What's his first name? Oh, oh uh, David, David, David uh, Michael. It's, it's Michael. It's Michael Bataluco. Um, he was on the practice. And, um, oh yeah, yeah. He's a, and then also on some Coen Brothers movies and things. And he, he was just great. 
And uh, we had some real luck with some shots that I did not plan with some great cinematography and the whole darn thing. This is back before um, people were making these like every day on their phones. This was when actually at a film festival, what ended up happening is it, it got made the finals of the uh, Rhode Island Film Festival. And the festival director came to me afterwards and said, you got voted last by me and disqualified because you did not shoot on film. And this is a film festival. It's when people still, otherwise he said I would have won. I got like two firsts and a second or something. Um, and that would have made the film nominated for, or eligible to be nominated for an Oscar to basically qualify to win for the voting. Um, and that's my only brag, I guess, that I, I had in film, but I really hated the process, man. And people, I started working for this agency uh, called Paradigm and made connections. And then I, I got up far, high enough where someone at Endeavor said, well, we'll pair you with some old guy who's, you know, washed up in the industry but has credentials with you, this new talent, and that's how they work stuff, you know? And they said, what do you want to do? Just tell us what you want to do. We'll sign you up and we'll, we'll make sure it happens. And like, like a med student who just finished grad school or whatever and realizes they don't want to be a doctor, or just something deep inside of me said, I don't want to do anything. Everyone around me is hate, hateful and hates themselves. And the higher up I seem to get, the worse it gets. I just don't want to do this. And that was a life crisis. And, and at that same time, I was getting Crohn's disease, uh, which is where your own body attacks your, your intestines. And boy, if I wasn't attacking myself from within and without, and I just decided to go to grad school right before that, that great depression uh, or a great recession that hit a lot of people my age when we were 40 trying to make it in the job field, you know? Sure. Um, so then it would be grad school in Lincoln, Nebraska, which had a combination film and theater direction degree. And I really didn't want to do that because of my hate of Nebraska. <laughs> but you know, you have to follow the money, I guess. Um, and right. then that was such a terrible experience that I had to kind of start to come to terms with the fact that if things are bad everywhere I go, it's because of me, like I'm the constant, you know. Um, but I ended up making a documentary about that and, and finding some questions about what makes theater tick and um, working with some great undergrads and read theater forms. And it became instantly a bigger thing than me, like within the first four years, I think five collectives formed around the country. And I really just was in awe of what happens if you ask the right questions, I suppose. It's, sure. it's not um, my brilliance, it's, uh, it, or whatever. I don't have the answers, I guess I would just really say, uh, but I tended to be quite good at asking the right questions. And um, I suppose that led to the theater company and um, re making some good friends, one of which was uh, my business partner here, who was an animator and computer scientist um, who did an animation thing that won an Emmy in, in LA for kid, a kid's show called Tumbleleaf. And he wanted to come here to marry his fiance and I just had gotten left, let go by Groupon who, who moved all their operations to India. And sure. I said, well, what am I gonna do with my life? Half crying on the phone. And he said, well, there's virtual reality things that are happening and um, he showed me one earlier uh, in LA. Um, and so we said, let's do it. And I didn't know anything about it. And here I am, let's, I've got a bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and just from, you know, as someone who is, is very much like outside of the, the Chicago area, you know, we, we really just have to go on the, the website and this place looks incredible. So how is this, how is this all set up? I, I, I'm curious for those of us who, you know, aren't there and don't get to see it. And for those who maybe haven't been there yet. What is the experience like at, at Redline? How how is this all set up, and, and what what all does your 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 bar entail? Well, 
you know, nobody knew what this, what virtual reality does and, or could do in many ways. I mean, and so we didn't either. And um, so I kind of set it up to be flexible. When you walk in, um, you're kind of, it's almost like you're entering from the side and you're sort of confronted by these VR booths all around the outside with a hundred inch projection screens showing people, uh, showing what they're playing and, and you can hear what they're, they're, they're playing. Uh, it's kind of like, I don't know, mass karaoke, I suppose, because then there's tables watching what the people are doing. Um, and so there's this real performative community aspect as opposed to what we feared, which would be, well, for me, the fear is that VR will become what the Oculus people hope it will be, I guess, which is some, somebody at home with Cheetos dust on their belly, like playing in their mom's basement. <laughs> yep. um, and I really don't want it to be this weird, isolating second life kind of situation. Right. I want it to be um, a communal aspect. Like, why would anyone have a pool table? No one wants to go to your basement and play pool. They want to go to the bar or whatever, yeah. right? Um, and then from there, we could do kids' parties. We could do esports things. We had some tests where, um, uh, I don't know, like there was table tennis and just like the winner had their bar tab paid for and people were just freaking out and having fun. Yeah. Um, there's uh, escape rooms that are all in VR and, and man, are those, those great. So it can do, it can do, it kind of really pivot into different modes. Uh, but the, the gist of it would be you do kind of plug in and, and go into this virtual world and, I mean, I've seen people cry in Google Earth because they visited their gram grandma's house or whatever, and they were like, wow, I helped granddad paint that fence. And when you leave, you, you're, one part of your brain knows you're not really at grandma's house, but like sure. another part, your feelings, they kind of, they still respond. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's really this powerful mix of film and theater, um, virtual reality is, and I'm really trying to explore that creatively. Yeah, I, I think the, uh, the the sense of community um, that seems to really be kind of instilled with something that I feel like, like you said, there this we have this idea that VR is, you know, just somebody isolated, kind of going through this this interactive world. But you feature uh, the escape room experience. You have the I, I saw that you have like a a workout as well, like a VR workout where where people can yeah. can go there and, and get into shape. Which you know that's that's also a, a communal experience to kind of help encourage your partner and encourage your you know everybody else who's there to to kind of put their life on a different path. Uh, I feel like that's something that you know we've all gotten so. Um, I don't want to say distracted by technology, but to a sense we, we have, but I think being able to, to use that technology for something where we're still able to share an experience is, is very important. So how does, you know, what, what's the escape room experience like? Is it, is it mostly, uh, you know, groups of friends will rent out, uh, you know, rent out a space or, or rent out like the area, or is it just kind of like, you know, sometimes you might get paired with strangers. How is that? How does that work? Because that, that fascinates me. I love that idea <laughs> of being able to do a, a VR escape room because going through the selection of what you offer, uh, I am a horror fan and seeing mm. that there are some of these that would probably make me pee my pants. <laughs> oh yeah. There's some good scary uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how does that, how does that work? It's always friend groups and, and couples and things. And it's fun for me to watch the different communication styles Sometimes um, they're just really impressive and fun. And then sometimes you'll just watch and it gets really sad really fast. Like, because somebody will just, I don't know, it's, yeah, they'll, they'll exclude people or, or uh, yeah. people will just give up. And you're like, come on now, like, this is just a game. Let's have fun. Right. Uh, I don't know what to say that, to really um, sound positive about this other than it's, it's always fun to watch humans try to be human, you know? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. People have to. There's there. Well, it's also interesting in that like I want to help people, but right. part of the escape room is frustration. That's the point. They yeah. paid to get frustrated. So, <laughs> do I relieve that frustration or not? I don't know. <laughs> have Have you had any experiences where it's just like there's something nagging at you to be like, oh, I've just I gotta help this guy, or or the opposite where it's just like. I hope this person fails. Have you had any situations where just the human experience is like, I, I, I gotta, I, I feel very violently <laughs> one way or another towards these people. <laughs> well, yeah, there was, yeah, there was this group of moms and they all had babysitters to get back by. And I was really hoping they could get done in time. And then one of them had to bail early and I got the privilege of jumping in with them on an escape room I hadn't done before. And oh. it was a scary Halloween one that was brand new. And they, I couldn't believe how smart they were because they were figuring stuff out. I had no clue. And then also how tough they were because I was the one screaming um, <laughs> and they were laughing at me. So I don't know what to say other than there's so many different dynamics of, of humans that come through and you don't get to see people sort of in problem solve mode or in scare mode, usually in life, you know, yeah. and uh, it's just really neat to suddenly see. Well, it, what, I don't know. One couple came in and there was this guy giving me a hard time. Or what, there was a foursome. And anyway, and I was like, this guy's going to be trouble. Um, and then as it turned out, he was great. And then the guy that I thought was going to be fun was a real problem. Like people oh. completely can change their personalities when they're under stress, you know? Yeah, it, it, it feels like it's that, uh, that uh, kind of competitive uh, anxiety that, that sometimes can really bring <laughs> out the worst in people. Uh, I, I feel like I show that on a <laughs> on a regular basis so. every podcast <laughs> that's right um, every podcast i'm just a crab ass near the end <laughs> well i've got two more surprises for you that are all me so well maybe all three the first one just builds on the escape room really quick which is i've got a mixed reality escape room ready to just add water that we kind of get screwed over by the city's delays i mean they delayed us over a year you theater people will also know like we see a, an empty space a black box theater and we can turn that into a magical wonderland in two weeks you know and so here I have everything ready to go. Um, and the city's just delay, delay, delay. And I just can't handle it because I know within two weeks time with my good theater people, and this whole place was designed by theater designers and built sure. the, the bartender built the bar. Like it's so cool. Um, and it, it just killed me. But so anyway, a year's delay made it. So I had to give up on that dream temporarily. Um, yeah. But I really hope to do a mixed reality escape room. Um, but moving on then the bathrooms were immersively designed by an immersive theater artist who, so like people get one last surprise, you know, that you've come in, you've had some VR, you've had a beer, now you got to pee. And what the heck? Like, it's this total immersion thing. And I, I don't know if I want to spoil it, but anyway, <laughs> just trying to add there. This is not what we did also, but like, I always dream of this a little in Japan. I think they've got augmented reality urinals. So like they move around like a little target and you try to pee and get a high score. But see, what I don't like about that is that it has to involve some sensors and cameras. And I just don't, I'm not yeah. sure I'm into that. <laughs> Um, but the number three thing uh, us, the theater people can really appreciate, and I really encourage anyone um, that's just sitting at home looking for something to do with all of their theater skills, because VR and theater are more closely tied than you might think. You, you need to be a little heightened, a little Shakespearean in a way, not like Marlon Brando realism. But you can make VR movies quite easily. It, it's a lot easier than you might think. Like a two or $300 camera is going to get you some, some quite good stuff, or even with different editing techniques, um, lesser cameras. So we started making virtual reality drink experiences. Um, and at first I tried animating them and just like animators need to, they have their own special section of hell, I think. Um, <laughs> but with actors, 
we could record it in different places and I can edit it in immersively. And so if anyone knows what Malort is, that's the first one we finished. It's a Malort VR drink experience. Do you know what Malort is? I don't. I don't know what Malort is. Oh, you need to come to Chicago. So <laughs> Malort is this liqueur that is pretty much drank only by old Swedish ladies and tough Chicago guys. Sounds and it's good. a weird, yeah, it's a weird uh, cultural phenomenon. And it's favorably described as um, lemongrass and grapefruit, but more commonly described by, by most everybody as like dog vomit and bug spray. <laughs> and it Ooh. is just hell, man. When it's in your mouth, it's okay. But then the aftertaste is, is brutal. And yeah. you can't drink anything to get rid of it for a good minute. Um, anyway, but that's like a real like Chicago, welcome to Chicago sort of rite of passage. And that's what the, the drink experience is all about. And I just really dream of I, I, the, my bars on Malt Row where a whole bunch of like, you might've heard of Half Acre or some other sure. bigger Chicago breweries are. I just yeah. dream of having a, a bar hop where you can go from one awesome brewery to another and have a drink experience that highlights what's great about this beer or this beer company and just give you a real sense of culture and identity behind each, each sip, you know? Yeah, I, I, I feel like, you know, one of the things that, and, and maybe it's, it's, I don't know, I, I guess, at one at one point in time being a college student in a college town and then you know kind of growing up and appreciating you know what the the downtown nightlife is like i feel like so much of the impact of like i don't know just just socializing is really the culture of each bar that you visit and i mm. think having that it is also a sense of community because if you can find a way to you know, you, you may be competing with these other bars that are still in that same area with you, but I feel like to an extent, there's also a sense of like, uh, you know, we're both in this, we're, we're all in this together and we're wanting to try and make this experience as positive for all of our patrons as possible. Do you, do you kind of do that? Is it, is it like that? Is it, is there a sense of community amongst the, the, the various bars in that area? I'd say absolutely. And then also in the virtual reality world, I mean, there's Chicago's a big city and there's enough drinkers and enough people that, um, you know, there's enough to go around. If you have got a good quality product, you're going to be fine. Um, the exception of course is COVID and yeah. uh, some of these other things that are hard here, but um, I do have some loyal fun people, but right now as we're recording, Chicago is shut down for all indoor yeah. service um, drinks or, or restaurants of any kind. So that's hard. You know, I've, I've yeah. tried to use some takeout, cocktails and, and take out VR situations, but you know, we're, it's cockroach mode. Let's just get through this and wait for the apocalypse to end. And then we'll rule the world as cockroaches, I guess. Right. Yeah. That was, that was going to be my next question actually. Cause it was kind of like, you know, so much of this thrives on that sense of community and that sense of being able to get people together to participate in this. And, and COVID really has had such an impact on the landscape on this. So is that, is that mostly what you're, what you're trying to do to kind of, uh, I guess, have some sense of thriving, some, some, some way to continue doing something in the midst of all this? Is it, is it, is it things like that? Or do you, do you get the opportunity to kind of rent something out to people is that even a possibility well, right now yeah but you certainly shouldn't be using the word thriving i mean we're just kind yeah. of this is a tourniquet trying to stop the bleeding existing yeah yeah um i i guess i'd say that i i most recent so i the the fitness stuff was a pivot i always did plan on trying to make money before 5 p.m and fitness was definitely one of them but right now nobody wants to even go inside to work out they are doing burpees out where the dogs pee you know and i can't yeah. believe they're paying uh you know two hundred dollars a month to do that but Right. Um, but they are. So I, I think fitness will be very successful later. 
Um, for right now, I'm, I just recently committed myself again to being creative and making more of the drink experiences. And then a thing that I've never announced before, but um, an alternative reality game based on Hamlet in much the way that Wicked is based on The Wizard of Oz. Um, and I don't know if I've got a great elevator speech for what it would be other than you'd be interacting with these characters on all forms of social media and text and email. And um, I don't know, it's one of these things where what happens in Hamlet is going to happen, but you're Horatio um, or the like and trying to make sense of it all and get through it. So there's kind of a mix of escape rooms and uh, choose your own adventure type elements. Um, and then if I can pull it off, there are some characters that would be uh, taking advantage from the audience. So like you may be asked to record an embarrassing moment in high school, like a little speech, like 30 seconds or, yeah. or a minute or whatever. And then later in the play, somebody else will see that speech as if it's one of the characters. And so you'll kind of get these testimonials from strangers as if it's from real life. I don't, I don't know if I'm explaining it very well, but the hope is that that's a communal, theatrical, personal way to do something that's not just, you know, bots programmed to text you and with certain responses. Sure. I think that sounds awesome. <laughs> like I just, there's the, 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 the Shakespeare nerd, the theater nerd in me, the, the, uh, just the, the person in me who wants to have a good time is just thrilled by this concept. And I think the thing with that is, is, you know, it, it gives people the opportunity to really enjoy Shakespeare because I think to so many people, uh, Shakespeare feels so daunting when, you know, if, yeah. if, uh, given the opportunity to really appreciate it, uh, I think people can can find that it is very, very entertaining. I don't feel like it would have been uh, something that we've studied for so long if if people didn't find that uh, kind of joy or or depth to it. So uh, I'm 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 fully on board for this. I <laughs> I think I think go for it, uh, and that might make me take a trip to Chicago because. Uh, well, hopefully it's scalable awesome. and it can be done anywhere. That's this is the only non-location based idea I've ever had. So if, if you know if ten thousand people pay five bucks to do it, yeah. you, you can't tell me that there's not ten thousand people in the world that uh, might not be interested in seeing do, experiencing some sort of a play because they've yeah. been so shut out for so long here. Anyway, yeah. this this is my King Lear, I guess, because didn't Shakespeare write? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great. Um, I, I'm just really excited about this. Like, I, I think uh, everything sounds fantastic. And I just, you know, at this time, it's just, it, it really, it's so difficult because everything feels like it's so up in the air. Um, and, and you really have to, like you said, pivot to find out, you know, what you keep doing to stay afloat. So I, I, I wish nothing but the best for you. I'm going to let you plug the bar here again in a minute. Like just give me your full on sales pitch to try and get it out there to people. But I want to talk for a second before <laughs> we do that. Uh, one more thing before we dive into our, our featured movie, because this, this is a movie podcast. What, what impact just overall, if, if there is any, like what, what, impact to have movies had on your life was there a moment in your life where you know it was something that you just kind of fell in love with i get that this transition is pretty terrible but but still it's just kind of like um you know where did where did you find your love for movies or are they something that's just kind of like i like them i enjoy a few of them but i'm not a huge fan just kind of where do you where do you sit with an appreciation for for film and cinema 
Well, I've also got two kids and I've sort of really changed uh, as this went. But when I was young, it was my escape. It was in Nebraska. It was a chance to see a world that I didn't have, you know. Um, and my friends all love Star Wars and, and I fell into that kind of vicariously through them, of course. Um, and then as I got older, I got more and more snobby. And um, I think Rushmore was the height of my like freshman and college snobby level. I could just dive into all the shots and rewatch and appreciate everything. Um, I, I always try to tell people that are into doing all this research, but they have trouble creating. Um, I love this quote from Orson Welles is that, you know, um, he'd done mostly a radio and, and theater career. And then he did um, Citizen Kane, right? And yep. they asked him, uh, I hopefully this is true. This is what's in my brain. He, they asked him how he did that. And he said something like, I watched Stagecoach six times. Like, that's how he learned how to be a director. Sure. And I think we've all consumed so many hundreds of hours or thousands of hours of, of things. And it's just about sorting it out and knowing who you are. And, and I guess last aesthetic like breakdown, I always try to analyze things. I think storytellers have, there's kind of two main modes of at least theater anyway, and, and we'll see if we think films that way, but you're either telling people like campfire stories about who we are and gosh, if we need to like all know and remember and hear, are hungry for stories about who are we as people now under times like this, who are we? Yeah. Um, a or B um, it's the uh, rain dance. It's the, it's, it's asking the gods, can things please be different? And at the same exact time as we're wondering who we are, we are absolutely wanting to do a rain dance and have things be different. And so I always try to break plays down between those two things. Um, and I don't know what to say other than I really needed that. I, I've just been so scarred by Nebraska <laughs> that <laughs> I'm just devoted to retelling stories about who we are and also stories about like, can't things be different? Um, and, and movies are just that for me. And I really focused on the way they can make you feel different feelings. Uh, my, I guess my stagecoach, if I'm Orson Welles, which I am not, um, was uh, Requiem for a Dream. That's yeah. the one I, I got like two legal pads out and just wrote every shot, every lighting, every musical cue, and just broke it down. And what a painful ass movie to do that to, you know, but sorry, I don't know how, we, how what level of cussing can we do on this thing? Swear as much as you feel <laughs> is necessary. <laughs> well, that is a, that movie will rip your guts out, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's done so artfully and, and slowly and painfully. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those uh, uh, movie experiences that I feel like everybody needs to have, but I think very few people after they, after they watch it will uh, jump at the chance to revisit it because it is uh, completely gut-wrenching. I, I'm, I'm right there <laughs> with you on that. Um, so... Ooh. When you so you you had the opportunity and, and and you had the 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 kind of resources to get a chance to to tell your own story and make your own film and you know what does that what does that experience feel like for you is it is it all because I know you you kind of touched upon it earlier where it's it almost feels so political where you get a chance to, to tell the story and, and let your stuff out there, but because of somebody's opinion, because of one person's uh, stance on the medium that you used, it really alters, you know, your, your course, your path, but also to a, in a sense, your, your, I guess, feeling towards that medium as a whole. So, you know, but, but do you ever kind of, look at it like the kid who had the dream to make that movie or is it is it one of those experiences where 
because there was that, I don't know, thing that left a bad taste in your mouth, does the whole thing feel scarred for you? Or, or how do you, I, I guess I'm just curious how you look yeah. at it now. Well, I think that was the real highlight was making that movie in my like film career. And then the more the accolades came and the more I learned about how the industry works, the, just the worse it got. Um, I would, when I would do pitch meetings, I did a pitch meeting at Disney and they just like, they don't care about the story and they didn't care about the characters. They just cut me right down real fast. And they were like, what's the poster? Desperate Housewives had just come out and they were like, what's yeah. the poster for this movie? Um, and I, I stumbled. I wasn't used to thinking about things that way. And I guess I am now. Yeah. But um, it, it's all, you know, it's about money. And I, I worked at an agency and they thought that Shrek 2 was better than Shrek 1. And I was like, you are insane. <laughs> I don't even want to talk to you oh, um, because yeah. they had a bigger box office. And that's how right. the world was measured. And um, it just wasn't for me. And, and I just, I, everywhere I turned, it was that way. Um, and there was a bit of a sliding doors moment that way, but I, I think that I just, I mean, I don't know. I'm a troublemaker wherever I go. Sure. And it's, it's kind of best that I don't have to, um, I mean, I got really sick of like, there's uh, a couple different independent film producers that we were recording and they were like oil executives who had this as like, they could put it in some weird startup or they could make a movie, but it's just $2 million and it's just more fun to make a movie. And like, that's, I don't want to have to ask the permission of some, I don't know, asshole with too much money if I get to make my dream happen. Right. And that is just not in my blood, I guess. And that's what it is to make a film. Even a micro budget film, it requires at least six million. So if you don't have it, you're sitting at your desk writing for no reason because if you don't have a friend with a six million dollar budget, you know, then you're pointless. Yeah. Um, and there's ways to like fight and pass and go through your dream. And it happens to people, but it's never, it's always somebody's cousin. It's always somebody's nephew that gets the first shot. So you better be I don't know. Yeah. You better be better than all of them and so much better that they have to say no to their nephew and good right. luck, you know? Yeah. 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 It's just, it's, it's, you know, I, when you, when you talked about the, the experience of, of getting to make this movie and then how, how it was soured by that, that the other stuff that goes along with it, it's always kind of, it's kind of that, uh, I guess, burst back to reality of like, you know, when it comes down to it, as as much as we love the movies and as much as people have that uh, kind of real desire to be involved in it, there's so much that goes on in that business that makes it so it's not it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Uh, sometimes it's a it's a you know someone's flinging mud and 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 shit at you and and trying to prevent you from getting anywhere near the the dream or story that you initially had in mind. Uh, so I think that's one of the reasons why too. I I just feel very happy that you've had the chance to kind of take that and and take just this. I guess desire and drive to to be creative and 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 still kind of share creativity with the world and just push it through a different medium. I think that's outstanding, <laughs> and I, I I will do nothing but but applaud uh, the steps that you've taken and always hope for you know keep hoping for your success because I I just think this is great. I appreciate that. I I kind of feel like humans don't actually have a free will. I don't. I'm not <laughs> trying to do this. I don't have a choice. If I try to repress it, it just comes back tenfold. Yep. So it's, it's just who I am. And right. I kind of wish I could just be a happy accountant somewhere and <laughs> not give a crap, but I am not. So there you go. Yeah. 
Well, Aaron, I, I, I'm going to give you a chance here to really uh, plug <laughs> plug Redline for me. And all of then... South Dakota will be coming down. <laughs> That's right. All every all of my South Dakota listeners, we're going to just hop on a bus, <laughs> uh, socially distanced, and uh, get a get a taste of the VR experience. So, tell me all about Redline. Tell us where we can find information about Redline VR and uh, everything we need to know. Well, sure. I mean, short and sweet, redlinevr.com will get you uh, a bunch of pictures and experiences, and you can check stuff out that way. Um, but really, the difference that sets us apart is that the future of VR is not like a, a headset sitting on the ground at Chuck E. Cheese. That's just scary and dirty, and it, it doesn't look human and doesn't look right. And, and we do such a good job of being human. Everyone that works here knows how to play the games, who knows how to ease the, that, that, cha- that, that uh, traveling between reality and the virtual reality. Um, and then, yeah, we've got stuff that's mature. We've got stuff that's for kids. We've got stuff that's immature for, for adults. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the curation. It's the humanness. It's the, the local beers uh, and the unique content that um, really sets it apart and makes it a real neighborhood gem. It was featured by the, the alderman in, in a way that just made me about cry because you start to realize there are things that are in Ravenswood and I'm mean, sure every town there are, uh, but that are just kind of nowhere else in the world just because of the humans that are there and um, the theater community that helped build this here is absolutely the reason that this place is special and um, it's bigger than me. And I mean, I'm just, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm participating in, in a, a great thing that's happening and I couldn't be more proud. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I still have the website pulled up here and I'm just look, checking it out and it's, it's so awesome just to, to, to see what this is like. I, I would love to be there. Uh, I got to tell you, if I am ever in the Chicago area, uh, get a chance to, to sleep on the couch with some of my friends, and I will make sure that we are there because, yeah, this <laughs> just looks, this looks awesome. So let's... It's life-changing, yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. So we're yeah. going to move into the, the featured movie of the week, and I am so excited to talk about this one. Uh, this week's movie is... Wes Anderson's Rushmore. Yeah. These are the names that define our world. The artists who shaped our minds. The rebels who challenged our views. But of all these legends, there is one that stands above all others. I'm sorry, did someone say my name? What's the secret, Max? The secret? I think you just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. For me, it's going to Rushmore. Sharp little guy. He's one of the worst students we've got. We're putting you on what we call sudden death academic probation. Could I see some documentation on that, please? Did you invite that kid to your party? Max Fisher. Come on, Dad, there's gonna be girls there. I'd rather die. Pull your head out of your... Maybe I'm spending too much of my time starting up clubs and putting on plays. Wow. Uh, so I, I remember the, the first time that I saw this movie, I actually saw it in theaters uh, with my family, like my, my mom, dad, and my little brother all went to this movie. And wow. my little brother and I just loved it, loved it. And after the movie was over, my parents kind of looked at both of us and were like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> so how did, you, how did you first get to see Rushmore? What was your first experience with Rushmore? Well, I was staying at a friend's basement in Omaha to do theater all summer there. And um, he, he started watching this movie and paused it and waited for me to get home because he said, you've got to watch this movie. He just was like 10 minutes in. And we watched it together just 
quietly screaming in a way, you know, because we didn't want to break the magic and it just was just exploding in our brains, I guess is the way I would describe it. Um, and so, yeah, I was just this, with my best friend in a basement and, and it was just presented to me as a special gift. It was so wonderful. What, what was it about this movie that, that you really gravitate to? Because I feel like there's, there's so much about this movie that put it in a different, I guess, echelon of, of comedies. Like, I feel like this is just uh, almost as perfect as, as it can get. But what is it about it to you that really stands out? Oh, having, I suppose, um, just, just the way he flails about with priorities that are different from anyone around him and doesn't accept the, the, the restrictions that everyone's putting on him that are plain as day. He just, he, unrequited love, you know, no, I don't know. All of those things were just so powerful for me. Um, and I, I've never seen a movie with so much heart uh, just falling off of it. You know, all of the, in all of the Wes Anderson movies afterwards were much more internal, much more repressed and much less satisfying for me anyway. Sure. I don't, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Max is such a, uh, such a character that, that basically lets it all out and, and wants to do everything wants to have his, his hands in every single pot. And I, I feel like, and I think you, I think you said before we, we started talking uh, on, on the record uh, that you had said that this really feels like there's a lot of comparisons that you can draw into your life by just kind of wanting to, wanting to take a little bit of everything and do a little bit of everything and kind of, you know, make sure that you're, you're participating in every pot. Is that, is that something that you always kind yeah. of felt like always had that, that, that kind of part of your life? You know, every now and then like people will be like, what's the top five adjectives that would describe somebody. And, and through my whole life, the number one people shout back at me is always the word passion. I just am so full of it. Um, and my, my, actually my master's thesis for theater was this play about Dylan Thomas, who's a poet who kind of drank himself to death. But he did the poem, uh, do not go gentle into that good night, rage, rage against the dying of the light. And I feel like that's a great character, like byline for Max on his tombstone, you know, like just, just, he wants to eat life. He just consumes life. Um, and I, I think I share a bit of that. Yeah. I, there's, there's such a, a, a shift uh, in Max too. I, I think that, that, that constant passion is there and he is able to uh, turn on the dime for that passion. I think one of my uh, favorite moments in this movie is he talks about uh, one of his classmates say that Latin uh, is finally getting banned, <laughs> finally yeah. getting the chance to ban Latin. And I he's been working on this for years. <laughs> and then, you know, he, he's ready to brag about it. And then this, this new teacher uh, arrives that he is instantly smitten with how mm. she loves latin <laughs> and then boom now his passion is all all committed to saving latin uh i i think that's such a great thing and this is this is jason schwartzman's like screen debut i mean he's kind of turned into uh a staple of of various comedies and you know both both television shows and movies was his performance in, in that character was that something that you were you know uh part of the draw for this movie oh yeah i love it big fan i don't know yeah i don't know what to say other than he just seems um his, the very first shot like he late he raises his big old thick eyebrows uh just like he's got an idea on how to solve the world's hardest math problem 
and I, I'm in. I'm already in right there. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think you said it too because it's like this movie hits. I remember when I saw this movie, I was I think in that age bracket, like right there, the same age as Max, and just feeling like I wanted to do everything, trying to find my place to fit in. Like I just. I, I ate this movie up because of that, because that character was so uh, uh, reflective of, of, of who I was. And, and I wanted to be that I wasn't, I don't think I was anywhere near as uh, overzealous as he is. I didn't have my hands in, <laughs> in anywhere near as many pots, but if I had the, the opportunity to adapt Serpico into a stage play uh, in high school, <laughs> I would have that. that oh would yeah. Be great. Well, but, and as I've gotten older, the Bill Murray character has had more and more resonance as well. That That's such an awesome, I don't know, the shots and the portrayal. Yeah. It's really compelling to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I that was something that I kind of took uh, from the movie this viewing, too, because it's like, you know, when you're younger, you can feel that that Max vibe. But I think as you get older, you certainly feel the, the, the Bill Murray, uh, Bill Murray character vibe, because it's like, I don't know, it's. It's a, a, a weariness of the world. And it's, maybe it's not like the best portrait, portrait to paint of ourselves to kind of be like we've gone from this uh, wide-eyed optimism and, and the, the kind of go-getter to kind of turn into this uh, a little bit of sadness. Because I, I definitely think the, the Bill Murray character has this, this weary sadness trying to find you know, what it is that still makes him happy. Uh, and, you know, well, once he once he connects with the teacher, I think he, he's able to find that a little bit. Oh, yeah. He, he turns smitten like one of the high school boys, kind of. He's running in and out of scenes. He's jumping over fences. He's, <laughs> he's hiding between behind trees. It's so great. But also the opening never – it's something I've just said in my head so many times because I grew up uh, – my father's a dentist, and so we grew sure. up relatively with money compared to um, – some people in rural Nebraska, you know, but then you find out a rural Nebraska dentist has got nothing compared to <laughs> people in big cities, nothing at all. Um, and so that, that, that first shot with him, uh, with Bill Murray, where he says, um, you guys have it real easy at uh, Rushmore. Uh, it, I think I wrote it down, take dead aim at the rich guys uh, and take them down. Right. Yep. They can't buy backbone. Like, Oh man, I just love that so much. And he's talking about his own kids who go to this school pretty much. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I, I love the dynamic between those two characters. Uh, just the earnest friendship uh, rivalry between mm. the two of them. Like just the, the way those two actors interact, uh, especially considering that this is Jason Schwartzman's first movie, like just getting to watch them together. They are great. Uh, what are some, what are some things about this movie uh, that we haven't already talked about maybe that, that really stand out to you and make this uh, a movie that kind of holds such a, a, a great place in your heart. Um, I guess, well, it's just, there's a lot, but I, I'm just thinking that what the first thing that popped into my head when you said that was that Bill Murray um, at the swimming pool montage where he's throwing golf balls into the pool. Um, he's just such a life of excess and total depression. A little kid walks by and he like throws one at the kid. His wife is like flirting with another man. And you just watch his like fat Budweiser swim trunks walk up to the tall top tower. And like, if that was the top of a skyscraper, he'd also jump off is the feeling you get, you know? Yep. Um, and he just, he, he does a, a cannonball and this wide shot, just shocking the party. And then he's under the water holding his breath. And this, that same little kid swims by. 
And it's, I don't know what to say. I've never felt so alone for him. And so like, he's just drowning. I mean, like it's a literalization of the metaphor, right? I think yeah. that's the thing that he, they do really well in this movie is just kind of literally show you that, that metaphor. Um, and then I did happen to also notice because I was paying more attention that that underwater thing um, is also kind of echoed in different moments. When Max first meets um, Rosemary, the teacher, uh, they kind of go through a different sequence and, and they go underwater in the aquarium. And then like later on, he drops fish into her aquarium and then she kind of pops back out back into the surface. And, you know, because she's hurting from her dead husband. Anyway, they right. use underwater in a, in a really cool way that I didn't ever have a way to articulate until this last rewatch. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there's, there's so many interesting um, visual metaphors that, that Anderson is working with. And I think it's something where you really get to see it all start here i mean he is he's a filmmaker that i think gets mocked uh quite a bit <laughs> especially in in online film communities for his he can be a bit precious right yeah yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah it's very you know everything's symmetrical and he will do whatever it takes to make these things line up in, cert in a certain way but i think here you kind of you see it at with its purpose. I, I think everything kind of falls into alignment for a particular reason, not just to be cutesy, not just to be, uh, you know, kind of twee, but it's, it all works because these, these characters are kind of dealing with their, I guess, sense of loneliness in, in different ways and then trying to overcome that. And I, I think that, you know, it, we all, we, we go on this journey with every single one of these characters to really get to, uh, you know, eventually their ending where, you know, to, not to, for, for lack of, you know, not, not to sound totally cheesy, but where they all kind of find themselves on a course to happiness. And I think it's nice to have a movie that, while it certainly has a bit of melancholy and a bit of sadness to it, there really is a joyfulness to it as well and i think I, I i just appreciate that it's it's willing to kind of uh hit all of those notes yeah well at one point like they say something like i hope it has a happy ending about the play within the play yep. uh, towards the end and i did too you know I yeah. mean, it's okay to want a happy ending <laughs> right right yeah it's a nice it's a nice story uh so you had told me in our uh uh, kind of chat uh, leading up to recording this, that you had the opportunity to meet someone uh, who was involved <laughs> with this movie. So I want to hear that story. So what what happened? Who who did you meet? Well, Seymour Cassell, the guy that plays Max's father, was working on, well, what was it called? I should have looked this up beforehand. Um, he was working <laughs> on a really small independent movie. And um, he was just like a day player, I think, or maybe two days. And he was so kind and I was a, a PA and I was in charge of uh, just parking and traffic stopping when they needed to have the traffic be stopped. And so he talked to me a bit uh, and he talked to me at the, um, like at the, during lunch and things. Um, and he told me what? So one of the things I remember was he was talking about how he got his start as, and he was like just hired to be a grip on set, but there weren't enough real men. All the, all the actors were too actory. And the director just badly wanted a guy that just was a real man. And he just said the lines like a real man. And then his career started to take off. Uh, and that's, that's his own interpretation of how that all happened. Um, and then um, the, I guess the cap on the story was that he was pulling out late at night and uh, from his car that had been parked for him. And he just, I don't know if it was old manisms. I don't know if he'd had something to drink. 
but he just plowed into the car behind him and then stopped for like 15 seconds and then drove away. And that, I saw it. I don't want to talk bad about people, but uh, I mean, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> we, we'll, we'll, strike, we'll strike this from the record so uh-huh. nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's great. He is such a, you know, he, he's not in this movie a ton, but the moments that he is on screen, it's just this, I don't know, it feels, it's going to sound silly, but he his presence feels like a warm hug. Like he's just, he's such a loving figure who doesn't ask for much and he knows that his son is constantly aspiring for more and and doesn't want to follow in this path but he's constantly there and 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 willing to to be there for his son as he goes through this hell that is adolescence i should probably ask you about that too what what kind of hell was your adolescence? <laughs> I think we all kind of experienced that that little slice of life where this is such a, a an awkward period, and, and Max really shows that you know he's trying to rise above it, but he still is dealing with you know there are some bullies in here. He doesn't necessarily uh, fall to them, but he he still still has to deal with this sense of oh i gotta i gotta go through the shit to get out of it was it is that relatable for you was your was your adolescence was there some sense of hell i, I think i know that you had mentioned that nebraska sucked <laughs> so oh, yeah sixth grade I, that stuff yeah but also i mean i don't know it's it's hard to be in a small town because i'm not sure i would have been friends with most of my friends if i'd had any other options sure but they're just there weren't you know a class of 100 you're lucky to find six people that you can tolerate i guess if you're me Maybe I'm a curmudgeon, um, but you know, boys are cruel. Everyone's cruel. Um, I had a girlfriend that uh, I was too hung up on, was depressed for a while. Um, things things happen. I don't know that I have a great story other than just lots of teen angst and yeah. lots of kids being mean. You, you you go through the routine. <laughs> you keep your head up. You just yeah. deal with it, and then and once it's over with the girlfriend that didn't work out um we i just had learned to drive and had my dad's old international scout four by four with which which had a throttle on it like a like a goddamn like lawnmower um and so uh i decided well i'm gonna do that thing i've heard about and go park and like make out well it had just rained like hell and i took a back country road and um it was muddy and worse and worse and i thought if i stop i'm stuck for sure and there's a dry patch up ahead so I'll just turn four by four on here and just go to that dry patch. Well, I didn't know there was the reason there was a dry patch and I was in standing water at that point uh, was because there was a big old farm ditch. And so I just ran this four by four right into the farm ditch and to circle it back to high school. Some of my friends went out there because they couldn't even get it out with a tractor. They had to wait for the rain to, to go down, uh, but they went out there and filmed it. And uh, at the last day of school, they put together a whole video and like showed it to, they got permission from the principal to show it on all the school TVs. Uh, like a sketch and at the end of the sketch during the credits they played uh, making fun of me um, that uh, <laughs> that shot so anyway had my little fame yeah, yeah the the whole school, whole school. How about, <laughs> god yeah. uh, on, on that note let's 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 try and pivot to something pleasant <laughs> um, oh, sure here real quick i did find out which movie it was here it was hollywood oh, dreams uh, okay that he was on yeah yeah and it was directed by henry jaglom who is is such a bully and terrible he's got a movie about himself and how terrible he is to people anyway oh. that guy could never last in today's me too movement stuff i'm sure anyway yeah 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 
Anyway, moving wow. on. Bullies are everywhere. Look out. Yeah, yeah look out for bullies. Um, um, so are, are, are there any, just kind of wrapping up Rushmore here, because I, you know, I love this movie. Like, I just, I just love this movie and, and, and getting the chance to watch it again. It's a nice uh, friend to, to go back to, just to kind of, you know, yeah. remember all the good stuff that comes from it, but also find things to, I guess, recontextualize or, or just uh, revisit that may hit you just a little bit differently. Um, are there any other pieces of this movie that you really want to talk about before we, we wrap things up here? Well, yeah, there's, there's a few, but how can we miss the, the line that was so famous as well to me? Um, there was a whole film club in my college that had written on t-shirts, I wrote a hit play and directed it, so I'm not sweating it either. <laughs> I loved that line. And the whole, yeah, the whole jealousy with uh, Owen, Owen Anderson, one of the Anderson brothers that was playing yep. that doctor. That stuff, when, he, when Max is drunk and fighting for stuff, boy, that's so great. And if you notice, the dialogue gets in the play, in the movie, I mean, gets more like his plays, more like the Serpico stuff. He starts to sound like he's in a movie yeah. um, with the lines as well. And I appreciated that. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think he's, he's so much fun. Uh, you, you were talking about the, the line that you guys used for the film club. It's, it's that, uh, you know, I wrote a hit play and I like the, uh, the, I saved Latin. What did you ever do? Yep. You know, it's just the, the, uh, <laughs> the lightful egotism of uh, uh, Max is just outstanding. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and then the, there's a quote within the the movie that is from Jacques Cousteau that yeah. uh, is the inter- is what per- makes him pursue the teacher in the first place. Um, that I jotted down where here uh, quote when one when when one man for whatever reason has the opportunity to lead an extraordinary life, he has no right to keep it to himself. I don't know. I I guess I feel that's that's important. I, I've definitely yeah. looked at my friends before and said like with your with your gifts, with your whatever, you, you, it's immoral for you not to like try harder. You got to do more, buddy. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I hate to rag on Nebraska because I feel like, <laughs> I, I feel like I might like Nebraska a, a little bit more than you do. Uh, my family is still there. It's, you have it's Omaha. Still, that's not Nebraska. That's true. That's a good, Nebraska. It's that, not Nebraska. That, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh-huh. But like, uh, you know, I, I feel like, there's such this like you said earlier this the, this midwestern attitude to you know don't go too far don't don't you know keep it rained down don't let your head get too big but also at the same time that that quote is so opposed to that and i think that quote is absolutely right if you're if you're good at something if you have something uh super talented or or some passion that's inside of you like you owe it to the world to, to let it out and let people see that, let people get to experience that with you. And I think uh, that that quote is really wonderful. It, it just occurred to me for the first time watching this movie that he went from including that quote in the book in this movie to then doing The Life Aquatic, which basically is, you know, mm. a, a Jacques Cousteau, you mm-hmm. know, type, type kind of movie. Themes. So. Then also as an adult, well, even as a high school, as a college student, this, I love when um, the teacher, Rosemary, finally does confront Max about what does he think is actually going to happen. Um, it's like, are, you, are we going to have sex um, or, or whatever? And he's like, no, I wouldn't put it. He, he, he says something like, that's too crude. And she's like, not if you fuck it, isn't um, And he's just so shocked. Would you tell your friends you fingered me? You get, would you get, if I gave you a hand job, would that put an end to this? Like, it's just so painful yeah. after he's like tried to kiss her. It's yeah. just the smacking of idealism and pragmatics and 
in the just worst, best possible way. It's, you just want to puke watching it. It's so yep. great. Because <laughs> he doesn't know. Like no. he, has, he has no idea what he wants to do. He just knows that he, he loves this teacher and, I don't know, wants to be with her, but doesn't know what that entails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's so many things when you're idealistic that way. And yeah. I've had to, as a bar owner here, to become more and more pragmatic and to, to see what it's like. And I, of course, get, as a theater artistic director as well, I would get a lot of attacks from idealistic people. And you, you just start to tell, you know, who's done something in their life and who hasn't. And I guess my soapbox would be to take advice from people who have done something in life. Um, just because, like, I mean, meaning they've taken nothing and made something or, or at least made something better. It's so yeah. easy to sit on the sidelines and, and take pot shots. And maybe you're right if you're on the sidelines, but good Lord, doing yeah. it is such a different thing. Yeah, there's, there's certainly an experience that comes from actually doing something instead of just being like, well, I think it should be like this. Yeah, uh, well, you're probably but, right, but yeah. come on. <laughs> but how do, you, how do you apply that? How do you mm -hmm. make that work? So, yeah, what else you got? What else you got? Oh, that revenge montage with the bees is just the best. And oh. All of the, the, the breaks being cut. And the way it's shot is so great. The guard, like Bill Murray's like desperately trying to stop his car as the, it's going around in circles and the gardener like weirdly who's reeking, uh, raking leaves and just like slowly backs up and it's almost yep. hit. <laughs> oh, it's just so beautiful. Everything's just on the edge and it's so that, victorious on both ends. And they smile while they do it. They're appreciative of each other. It's a fun thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. These two, these two men are at war and they love and every they love second it. of it. That, yeah. that sequence there is why, like, I, I'm so glad that this movie is in a, in a widescreen format because it just feels so, it's so, it's so, you know, uh, 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 low budget. And, and made it such a, a low cost, but there's something so just brazenly cinematic about their uh, their quest for revenge with each other that I think mm. it's just so, so good. Well, and the way they fix it, you, like you brought up before, there's lines about like, Rushmore was my life, now you are, she's my Rushmore, Max. Like they, yep. these are people that are just so um, purposefully following a, an objective at all costs. And it's yeah. really beautiful on screen. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible yeah. in life. It's a terrible, <laughs> terrible way to live your life. Right. <laughs> you have to be able to waver just, just a little bit here. And they, they refuse to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's so much heart just screaming off the stage with those things. And then the plays within each other, like you mentioned, yeah. gosh, wouldn't it be so fun if theater was really like that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and I, why I, couldn't it be? You know, right? I, at, certain, at certain points as an artistic director, I thought, why can't I do that? I yeah. could. I should try. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just such a commitment to uh, being able to tell whatever story he wants to tell at all costs with no, uh, no desire to, to or, 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 or no willingness to be held back. Like nothing is going to prevent him from telling the story he wants to tell. Um, I remember once when this movie came out. too. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Like his father is a haircutter and he says, a brain, you know, anyway, he's telling, he's creating falsehoods around him. Anyway. Yeah. 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 He's, he's letting this uh, uh, mythology be created about himself so that he, you know, I don't, I think it's just a matter of, you know, not wanting, not wanting to let people in, but at the same time, also very 
sneakily wanting people to see who he is. And mm-hmm. I think there's a, a really interesting kind of dichotomy at play between those two, those two parts of Max. Uh, I remember when, when the movie came out, uh, MTV, which is so not, I feel like who this movie is for that, that MTV era, mm-hmm. uh, he was, they were, they were promoting the MTV movie awards by doing scenes like Max's plays. Mm. And that was like the greatest thing on MTV. Oh, I hope I can YouTube that. Yeah. At that time. They're just so much fun. Um, yeah. And, and this movie has a really, really great uh, Criterion disc. Like I, I love the Criterion collection. I've got a, a side podcast where one of my friends and I kind of dive into the Criterion collection and, and this this disc was one of the first ones that I ever owned from the collection. And I just, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So <laughs> yeah. What else do you got? Any, anything else you want to touch upon? Well, I mean, some of it's just more, I feel like it's overall structural or whatever. Like you mentioned how Wes <laughs> Anderson generally likes to have symmetry and things, but he so often would present people in profile and, and in just the touch of research as well. I, um, I read that the, they were really inspired by Roan Dahl. And then, so I looked more into Rondal books, which is like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and, and uh, Fantastic Major Fox, which they did as a movie um, and different things like that. And I noticed one awesome commonality is that a lot of these characters are driven in profile with huge noses. And if you're a Wes Anderson, or I mean, if you're a, uh, what is the main actor these all the time? The big noses uh, is the point. Yeah, um, Jason's, Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. Yeah, Schwartzman has a big nose, but then so do the, uh, well, anyway, so do the other people involved. A lot of people on this show have big noses. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, I noticed that, but also, uh, and then the, with the symmetry, they often are looking directly to camera or directly at each other. It's not this 45 degree over the shoulder kind of thing. And then when there's that, that um, intimacy of them not looking at us, it, it's incredibly powerful. And then when they're looking at us, it creates such a sense of imbalance whenever one of them just even like has a thought that is uh, like a sideways thought, a, a hesitation or whatever. It, I just thought it was so, so effectively done in this that it's, it's cause also the structure of Rushmore, it, it's, it's setting that up. It's echoing that, that Rushmore is a structured environment yeah. and it's an idealism in, in its own self. Um, anyway. Yeah. So I think that it works best in this compared to maybe the other movies where he's maybe chasing this movie to me. Right. I, I don't have any reason to think he's chasing this movie, but it feels that way to me based on my biases. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like there are a lot of, you know, maybe things that he uh, did here that, that worked so well in this movie that it kind of feels like he's, he's constantly, you know, and, and I'm, I'm someone that really enjoys the, the rest of his filmography as well. But I feel like, you know, maybe because this movie was so successful for him and kind of uh, uh, put his foot in the door, that part of him is afraid to kind of deviate from that because this this style works so well for him. Or not, you know, maybe this is just the way that he, he views the world and wants everything to kind of fit into this visual a- aesthetic for him. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I think it, it works really well here. And I, I should have taken note. Uh, I don't know, if maybe, maybe, you, maybe you would kind of remember this a little bit. So once he goes from the very rigid in and structured world of Rushmore, and then he is sent to uh, the the gallows that that would be public education. Is there kind of a, a loosening of that? I don't really recall for sure, but it feels like because the world is so off kilter that maybe stylistically it would kind of take a little bit of a deviation as well. 
Well, you'd think except that he immediately reinstates his like way of life there. So no, it's just, it's more of the echoing of, of previously, but they definitely do more like follow shots and other kinds of things. And actually they do, they pass through people. Like they'll do a shot behind Max's head and then like kind of go through his head to do a, a front facing uh, direct to camera shot of other people. They, they, they start to have that, the, what is it called? The fourth, not the fourth wall, that's theater. The line, the line that you don't cross with camera. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep, yep. And uh, I can't remember break, what it's called. They, uh, he's, not, he's not breaking the line, but he's passing through the line with the action uh, of the shot. I think it's just called the line of action. Um, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. There goes my master's degree in film. But um, <laughs> he starts to do that more instead of left to right progressions. There's a ton of that. Uh, and, but then he starts to go more like vertical through the scenes for sure. And then there is one beautiful way that it all wraps up after they all dance or after he's got his bloody nose and he, um, there's this awesome behind his head shot and then he turns full profile and we get to see his bloody nose, but then he turns, he keeps turning his eyes and he looks right at us in like slow motion. Um, and I don't think he does that at any other point in the play, in the play, in the movie. Yeah. Um, and it's, it just brings it all home to me. Um, he just, we really bring, yeah, we really get inside of him there, but it's all yeah. the same shot constructions instead of this. The, yeah. Cause the profile shots normally, so a way of being private and flat. Right. Anyway, yeah, yeah, and then it, it just you know as as he opens up the to the audience you know full on like that's just it's it's our way to know that we are a part of the world uh, yeah. of this movie too. So oh, yeah, music. I listened to the soundtrack so of this good. thing for uh, still. I put it yeah. out here at the bar re- randomly, just like that's what we're listening to today. Yeah. So great, so great, and I think when you are you know if you see this at a certain age like like I did, you're you're kind of receptive to different kinds of music and and so much of this you know i didn't really know and and getting to see this movie and and hear the music in this i was like oh this is great like this is actually uh really good music and and he just uses it so well too uh this is such a a a top-notch soundtrack i i love this love this soundtrack oh yeah Uh, so many times but especially during that revenge scene with the um it's what is it you you are forgiven yep (laughs) oh my god singing the word forgiven while they're doing these things oh yeah yeah and then when the, the car crashes and it has the one that kind of holds it, you are forgiven. Yeah, yeah that's just yeah. so, so much fun. Oh, with the guitars. <laughs> oh, my God. Great stuff. Great stuff. Well, the last thing I'll talk about with this movie before we, we kind of move on Please. to my little special trademark here. Uh, one scene to sell the movie to people who haven't had the, the chance to see this. What is the one moment in this movie that, you know, maybe stands out for you above all else that you would be like, if, if you needed to see this movie, this is the moment to watch for. Well, it's because it's come up so many times and it's such a good, good thing. It'd have to be that revenge sequence, yeah. you know, I don't want to, I feel like I wish I could pull out a brand new one, but right. that, that is just so good. Let me look through my notes to see if I get a, can you come up with anything else. But I mean, sure. Just just the the slow burn of the bees, the it's, the bicycle stuff. The every, oh gosh, yeah. It's such a fun payoff, and it feels like it it hits. I, I I wish I would have had the the counter on on my Blu-ray player just to kind of see 
where it hits, but it feels like it is the centerpiece of the movie. Like this is what we build towards and this is what we're trying to come back from, from that point forward. Cause it's just, it's like, this is our, this is the action. This is, this is the moment of truth for this movie. And we've got to, um, kind of resolve everything from this this the actions of these two guys that have just uh tried all they could to destroy each other's lives yeah oh it's great it's (laughs) great well cool well aaron i am i am so uh happy that you messaged me this was a lot of fun for me i am so glad that i had a chance to talk with you so as a uh, a thank you. <laughs> I am going to subject you to what I like to call the fat five. These are five questions uh, that kind of uh, just kind of put your, your, your movie love uh, on the spot to kind of yeah. see where you're at as a movie fan <laughs> and just a, a general gauge of, of, of your movie temperature. So our, lose everyone's respect now. All right. No, no, no. You have, you have already earned so much respect. You are, you are <laughs> the man. So uh, these are the fat five. Are you ready? I am not. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. Question number one. Uh, it's, it's the most obvious question of all, but we're going to ask it anyway. What is your favorite movie of all time? It, I picked it because it's Rushmore. It just speaks yeah. to my, my soul. Uh, I would probably be more interesting if I had a different answer, but good Lord, it's oh. me, man. This movie is about me. Yeah, I, I think this movie is so great that this is, uh, you know, I knew that I loved this movie going into this rewatch, but watching it again, it was just like, this is, this is perfect. This is, this is one of the best comedies ever. I, I just love this movie. Uh, uh, <laughs> next question. Who is your favorite male performer, your favorite actor? Hmm. I'm looking for something that's a little outside the box, but it's going to be Bill Murray because he's one of the only actors I've seen everything I think that he's ever done, including some slow, painful stuff. And uh, when he's getting more artsy here. And I just love as well, the story about him and where he decided he had, like he has no agent, right? And he's sure. got this, I think this is all true. He's got like one voicemail that he checks like once a month or something. And then he just decides like on Rushmore, he decided he'd do this for free. If he like, if it would help. And I think there was a helicopter shot that Wes, I read this as well, that Wes Anderson wanted to do and uh, they wouldn't uh, green light it. So Bill Murray wrote him a blank check. Like who, who the hell does that? That's, That's so, awesome. so cool. Yeah. Like I just, I, I think he's great. I, I love Bill Murray. Uh, he is an actor that I, I, I feel like knowing he's in a movie, uh, even if it's something that looks pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> like I will probably still check it out because I just, I love him so much. Uh, to flip that then, who is your favorite female performer, your favorite actress? I've got a current crush. Um, shoot, what is her name? She's a redhead actress and she has been in a couple TV shows. Uh, one of which is the new Star Trek. Um, she plays Tilly. And um, she's also was in um, Gisette Galifianakis. Uh, she had a little uh, season role um, in his show about clowns. What oh. is her name? Uh, here, okay, so Star Trek Discovery. I'm not good with names. That's the problem. Oh, I, yeah, and I don't know who this yeah. is, so I'm kind of oh, she kind of is so list. good. Uh, <laughs> she she can really she's just got an energy on stage that you never see. Mary Wiseman okay. is her name. Look out for her. She's a character actress that just is going to have a long, amazing career. She was in Baskets as well. Okay, um, 
yeah, I, I, she's my crush. If she's on state screen, I'm watching. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, that's really cool. I will have to, uh, I'll have, to, I have to check out baskets anyway. So this will be great to know that mm-hmm. she's in that. So awesome. Uh, who is, okay. So, so typically the question then would be who is your favorite director, but I kind of like to phrase that a little bit differently. Is there a director that, you know, if a new project was announced, you didn't have to know the cast. You didn't have to know the plot, anything about the movie. Just seeing their name attached would drive you to the theater. Oh, there's a few. Um, yeah. I think I'd have to say, let's see. I'm so bad with names. Who did There Will Be Blood? Uh, uh, Paul, Thomas, Paul Anderson. Thomas Anderson. Yeah, yeah, that guy's just epic. And, and yep. every shot is meaningful. And how do you, yeah, I will drink your milkshake and stuff like that. <laughs> the ambition to pull off some of those lines. Like that's the other thing really about when we, when you work in in LA is when you realize like, wait, we're setting up this shot and the actor's going to say what? Mm -hmm. Like the confidence it takes to do some of these things as a, as an artist. Oh my gosh. And and to make it so menacing, like that that is a line (laughs) that is terrifying when you, it, it sounds, you know, looking at it on paper, it is silly, but just the way that is all set up, good God, that's a, that yeah. is a terrifying moment. It used to be Tarantino, but Tarantino hates himself and hates his audiences, and uh, I stopped liking being hated, is I guess yeah. what I'd have to say about Tarantino. So yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the last question, with this uh, movie landscape currently being uh, so much in disarray, uh, it, it's really kind of difficult to answer this, but is there a movie that is... Uh, on the horizon that you are really looking forward to seeing or is there something that's that's already out you know maybe released in theaters maybe uh, uh, streaming or or playing at home that you haven't had a chance to see that you really want to as soon as you get a chance to (laughs) yeah I was afraid of that question Uh, (laughs) I'm so dominated by my children now all that's coming out is like I hope they make a Paw Patrol movie I mean like (laughs) It's really, but what I guess I mean by that is anything that Pixar would be doing, something that uh, I can share with my kids because life is not about um, me reaching a new height of of terrible feelings in the theater with There Will Be Blood or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. about sharing joy and insight as to what humans can be. Um, So Inside Out is something that my my son and I recently watched um, because he's six, but also um, he's been struggling with OCD and... Um, it's been so painful to watch the light go out of his young eyes and for have him have to realize something many adults haven't had to do, which is that I am not my feelings and I am not even my thoughts. What a thought most adults have never had. And so we watched uh, Inside Out and he was like, oh, so dad, like, I guess I probably just have an OCD character in my head as well. And not everybody has all the same characters. And I was like, oh my God, wow. I want to see movies like with my son. You know, that's, I want to yeah. see it, see the world again from his mind. Yeah, I, I, I can I can only imagine as as someone who's who's not a parent, uh, that it's just there's there's such an experience that comes with being able to see, you know, you know, not only watch the movie yourself, but be able to see it through how they experience the movies that is you know, puts it into a completely different perspective and, and maybe gives you a, a, a whole different appreciation for movies that people who aren't parents uh, yeah. don't. Yeah, so. well, and then I have a three-year-old daughter. We were watching something, and she just turned to me, and I thought she was going to say something about the movie, but she did. But she showed me what she was understanding, which was, hey, they have a blue shirt, and I have a blue shirt. And I was like, yep, 
that's what you're getting. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, Aaron, I, I got to tell you, this is just, this, this has been wonderful for me. Uh, thank you so, so much for, for reaching out. And uh, when I, when I said, if asked you if you wanted to just do an episode of the show, you were like, yeah, that sounds great. And Man, I am so glad that you did. It was awesome getting a chance to talk to you. Well, I feel um, like we're friends now. This has been we good. are. We're we're yeah. we're gonna we're gonna be as the kids say. I don't know if the kids say it anymore because uh, <laughs> I think Facebook is kind of on the outs. But as as a middle aged man would say, we're gonna be Facebook friends now. That so. sounded even weirder when you said it that way. But yeah, I know. I know. I, there was no way to avoid being creepy with that one. Uh, but no, Aaron, we'll be creepy together. That'll be fun. There, Perfect. I love it. Uh, so one more time for everybody listening, uh, where can we find information about uh, Redline VR? And uh, yeah, how can we how can we get a chance to experience that uh, with you? Well, sure. And actually, so redlinevr.com. But then, you know, there's Instagram if you're more into that. And we have got Facebook. Um, but occasionally, and especially as I enter my more creative phase here, there's some some things on YouTube. So if you look for Redline VR on YouTube, um, I haven't put a ton of content on there, but there's, there's some snippets of the drink experience. There's some uh, pretty funny things of me trying to get some of my demons out, punching uh, things in the VR workouts. Um, and we'll just keep putting trailers of the possible escape rooms and just a lot of stuff that uh, honestly you need someone to curate for you. And I'm really happy to, to do that. So you check us out on YouTube. Awesome. Awesome. Aaron, again, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun and uh, hopefully, uh, Hopefully our conversation between you and I doesn't end here. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> to the next time then. Once again, a huge, huge thank you uh, to Aaron Sawyer for, for participating in this episode of the podcast. I really had a great time. Like it was just, you know, I, I just like getting to talk to people. And I feel like to an extent now that is uh, especially the case uh, with COVID because I'm not, not getting a chance to go out and hang out with friends. So we're just kind of, you know, doing what we can to have conversations. And it was really nice just to have this conversation. So uh, do me a favor, head on over to redlinevr.com. Take a look and see all the things that they have to offer there. Uh, you can also follow Redline Virtual Reality on Instagram and see all of the cool stuff that they have to offer there. Uh, this really was a treat for me and I, I hope that you enjoyed this audio uh, this uh, uh, episode as much as I enjoyed making it so that is gonna do it for this episode of the podcast uh, please follow all things fat dude digs flicks across social media Facebook Instagram and Twitter just do a search for fat dude digs flicks you can find me there uh, please subscribe to this podcast like this podcast rate and review this podcast I would love for this podcast to find its way into more ears and the best way to do that is with your recommendation. So share this podcast across social media and definitely leave a rating and review so that more people get a chance to know that we're out there. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or if you would like to be a guest on this podcast, uh, send an email to fatdudedigsflicks at gmail.com. Uh, I would love to have a conversation with you. 
Um, you know, any movie that we have not already covered, I would love to talk about, even if it's something that I don't particularly like. Uh, if there's a, a movie like that out there that somebody is really championing, uh, I will talk about it. Uh, I just, I, I would love to have a conversation with you. Uh, so definitely send an email to fatdudedigsflicks at gmail.com. Uh, make sure you follow and support the gang at Backlot605 across social media. Go to Backlot605. Dot com. Check out everything they have going on there. Uh, you can subscribe to their podcast the same place you can find mine. Uh, also check out the Slashlot605 while you're at it. And jumping back to my own personal promotion, uh, I definitely want to drop a, a big shout out uh, to Blake Ginnethan because our Criterion break with Andy and Blake is still going strong. We'll get together here in a couple of weeks to record another episode that I am super excited about. Uh, as far as this podcast goes, I don't know what I'm doing next week. <laughs> uh, last week's uh, hiatus was was mostly unplanned. I think in the the end of the last episode, I said I might uh, be might be there, and uh, I wasn't, <laughs> and I, I didn't. Uh, I had a plan. And, and it kind of fell through. Uh, then I had another plan that was would have been really cool, and that kind of got delayed. So we'll see what happens, I guess, for next week. So if, uh, if you want to be a guest on next week's podcast, I guess now is the time to message me because my door is wide open. So there you go. Uh, but that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you back here. Same fat time, same fat channel, where we can taco about movies. Stay safe out there. Wear a mask. Uh, uh, on a personal note, uh, COVID has hit very, very close to home. Um, luckily, uh, we've been safe, uh, but we have had I've had friends now and family that have certainly been impacted by it, and. Uh, it's scary, but we've been we've been very, very lucky. So uh, please stay safe out there. Believe that this is real. Uh, believe that it can affect you. Uh, mask up if not for yourself, mask up for people near you. Wash your hands. For God's sake, just take care of yourself, take care of others, and please be safe out there and believe that this shit is real. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening to Fat Dude Digs Flicks.